Dallas Willard says this. He says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. Now, that's a pretty powerful quote. The most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become because that's what you will take into eternity. Now, if you think about it, that's a pretty countercultural statement. Um, isn't it probably true about our society and maybe even true about us that most of our attention is given to what we do? Isn't that true? Most of our attention is given to what we do. In fact, most of us define ourselves by what we do. So if I meet somebody in the street and they, they want to know who I am, I say what I do. So I say I'm a pastor. Or you say I'm an engineer, or you say I'm a, I'm a mom, or you say I'm a mechanic, or you say I'm a nurse, or you say I'm a student. And when somebody wants to know something, who I am, what we do is we say what we do. And when we say what we do, what we're trying to do really is we're defining who we are. And even if we don't think about it, we're generally saying what's important to us, or at least what we give the majority of our attention to. But Dallas Willard challenges that and says what's most important in this life. Matter if you, you know, um, remember this, this movie, City Slickers? Anybody ever see that movie? Remember the whole thing's about this? The guy goes, it's, it's the thing, the one thing. They're trying to figure out what's the one thing, the most important thing to life. Anybody remember the name of the old cowboy who did that? I can't remember his name. What is it? Curly? Curly, I think, that's right, Curly, and he's the old wise cowboy, and it's the most important thing. He's got to figure out what the one thing is. And if somebody tells you this is the most important thing of all your life, I think that you make a stop and take notice. And Dallas challenges what we generally think and says the most important thing in all of life is who we become. What's most important, he says, is the person that you are. That your character matters more than anything else. He says it's most important because that's what we'll take into eternity. And, and before I read that quote from Dallas, I would have agreed with his statement. But when he says the last sentence, that really changes it for me. Because I would have always been. I was in a meeting one time and it was a, a defining moment in my life. And it was a frustrating moment in my life. But I was at a, at a meeting with a bunch of pastors. It was a, they had something called the the... WNMD, Wisconsin, Northern Michigan, think tank, and they invited about 20 pastors. And this is a long time ago, so don't try to figure out who I'm talking about. Um, but then superintendent, which was many superintendents ago, um, had this meeting. He wanted to pull up this, what he thought was like the 20 guys that were kind of movers and shakers in the district, and we were invited to it. And he started off the question this way. He said, what should be the words that are most important to us? What define who we are? And everybody's sitting there, you know, 20 pastors are used to talking, not saying anything. And so finally I said, honesty, integrity, character. And I could see a look on his face. He looked at me like, huh? And a guy next to me goes, numbers, success. And he goes, that's what I'm talking about. And literally my heart sank because we didn't understand this. So I, under, I would say I understood the first couple lines as a young pastor even, that the most important thing is who you come. But when, when, when Dallas puts it in there, he says, it's most important because... It's what we will take into eternity. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's right. 
Dallas is right. Who I become is most important, not just so that I can stand in a meeting and agree or disagree with somebody else, but because who I become is what I will be and who I'll, what I'll take into eternity. Friends, we, me, I, you, we go into eternity. Not our possessions, not our professions, not our accomplishments, not our activities. We go into eternity. So I think Dallas would say something like this. He would say, Mark, it's more important, he'd say Portview, it's more important to know, be known as an honest and loving follower of Jesus than it is to be known as a rich and successful fill-in-the-blank engineer, business owner, um, anything. That who you are is more important than what you do. And I really think Dallas is right because the Bible has a lot to say about who we are and who are we becoming. But if you think about it, it really doesn't have a lot to say about what we do. It talks about how we do what we do. You ever think of that? It talks about how we do what we do with honesty, integrity. But then we talk about what we do that much, what occupations we have. It doesn't talk a lot about, talk about that a lot. It doesn't talk a lot about the activities that we give our energies to, but it talks a lot about who I am and who I'm becoming. And one of the places in Scripture that deals with who we are um, really clearly is found in the book of Galatians. So if you've got a Bible, grab your Bible, and we're going to look at a verse in a section in Galatians chapter 5. And it's, it's two verses, and it's two verses that a lot of us can probably quote or get pretty close to quoting, and it's two verses we're going to base uh, the next number of Sundays on. And it's the verses that sometimes you would call something like this, the fruit of the Spirit verses. And so, we have some slides. Let's, let's read this together. Verse chapter 5, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now what we're going to do for the next, for not the next five Sundays, but for nine, for nine Sundays rather, not five, nine Sundays, because we're going to have a little break in the middle because of a missionary. But for, for nine Sundays, we are going to take each of these nine fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians, and we're going to try to get a better understanding of that unique dimension of Christian character. The kind of things that Dallas would say, this is who you should become. This is, what you should be more, this is the most important thing, that these things are real in your life. And our hope is that as we do this, we'll each partner with the Holy Spirit in allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe and, and grow and, and challenge us so that, that quality of that's, that dimension of Christ's character that's within us would grow and would develop. That at the end of our time together looking at these nine, we will become different and we will become better. And there's a very important reason why we want to take the time to do this. And it's something I hope for. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be if all of us grew in these character qualities, everybody at Portview? Can you imagine what our homes can be like 
as we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to grow in each of these areas, can you imagine what your home could be like? And here's it, can be like. That's our goal. That's the reason we're doing this series. That we would have families and homes and relationships where these qualities exist and they're growing and they're developing. Where love and joy and peace are the atmosphere of our homes. Isn't that a wonderful goal? Can you think of any goal more worthy than to say, let's let these things that the scriptures define as the most important things, who we become. Let's, let's ask God to help us to allow these things to grow. Wouldn't we all be happier? Wouldn't we all be more full of joy? We would be. So for nine weeks, we're going to look at the nine. And not only will we be looking at these in the, in the sanctuary here on Sunday mornings, but our kids in preschool and in kids' church will be looking at the exact same fruit that we look at every week. And we've actually created something. We created a little booklet, you might have saw when you came in, called The Nine. Bearing Fruit at Home. And this book is basically broke down into nine chapters, short little chapters, and, what we, and there's a little assessment tool in the back about asking yourself questions of how am I doing in this area, which would be a great place to start. You ever read a book, you, start, you read the end first? This is one of the books you should read the end first. A little self-assessment. But then in each one of the areas, it's going to give you some ideas and some thought-provoking things, some activities that you could do between husbands and wives and between parents and kids and parents and teens, and you could say grandparents and kids and grandparents as teens and teens. So you can use this booklet as a guide. It's going to give you suggestions and activities and things to talk about because here's my deal. I know this, and I can prove it from last Wednesday. And if anybody thinks I'm talking about them, I might be, but it's totally positive. <laughs> that I can stand here and talk about things week after week after week after week, but if you don't do it at home, it almost always goes almost completely in one ear and out the other. So that's why our Wednesday night formation classes in every class, except for one, I think, we have homework. In all of our formation classes, you have to, you have to promise to read books and do the work. If you don't read the books and don't do the work, we tell you, please don't come to the class. Because we understand you've got you to do something. So last week I had a really cool experience in this with two different people. And I honestly can't remember. I remember who one is. I don't remember who the other one is. And... We are, it was week two in the Good and Beautiful God series, which is the first five weeks of that class are just primarily talking about this. God is this ridiculously crazy, loving God who is not hateful and judgmental, and he's not looking to whack you with a stick. We talk about narrative, narrative, narratives. What do you believe about God? Now, here's the deal. I preach that every week. Every week, it's woven into every sermon I preach. And last week, two people, prefer maybe three people actually said to me at the end of the class, Oh, pastors, my narratives are really being challenged. Man, my narratives are really being challenged here, what I believe about God. And I sit there and I go, that's awesome, but I ask myself this question. How come it took this to make that happen when I'm preaching about it every week? Here's what I know. I think this is valuable. It's, I believe it's super valuable. Um, but there's something more you get when you interact. If you interact, that's why I want a person who teaches a class gets literally a hundred times more out of it than the person who, who actually listens to a class. And so my challenge is for you, over the nine, nine weeks we talk about this, invest a little energy in your family and in your own personal life and say, how can I see these nine develop in me? And our hope is that you will take some time each week and talk about the, that particular fruit of that week 
And the main thing is this, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to help you grow in that area. What you're not supposed to do is go, hey, or Suzanne to go, Mark, man, this is an area that you really need to grow in. That's probably not going to be real productive. This is more about self-evaluation and helping and inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives. So let's say the verses one more time in Galatians together, and then let's jump in and get, and get started. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now, let's start by putting those two verses in context. Because you can ever take something, you just take a couple of verses, you pull them out, one of the greatest ways to mess yourself up doctrinally, pull a couple of verses out and, and not put it in context and try to figure out what it means. So let's put it in context. In this letter, you know why I like the Apostle Paul? Because he reminds me of me. Apostle Paul is writing this. You know why he's writing this letter to the book of Galatians? Does anybody, you know why he's writing this? Because he's ticked off. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter because he's mad. And matter of fact, I remember a college professor of mine teaching me, I had a book of Romans and Galatians, a class, and he talked about it and he, he led us through it. And later, at one point in the book, he actually says this, referring to people that he's mad at. And this is crazy. He says, I wish that they would mutilate themselves. He's talking about they would castrate themselves, is literally in context, so they would never reproduce. He's, he's just mad at what's going on in the church. He's the founder of the church. And he's mad, and he talks about he gets in, in Peter's face and corrects him because he's wrong. And he's, he's, he's just mad when he writes this one. And it's interesting, it's one of the first books he ever writes, too. So he matures, I think, as he goes on, but he's, he's, he's frustrated. And why is he frustrated? Because the Christians um, in that area that he's writing to in Galatia had started off really well. They had heard the gospel message, he, was, he had made sure the gospel was true and faithful to what was, what was honest and, and right from God. And they trusted in Jesus as their Savior. But something happened. That happened a lot. People would kind of follow in behind Paul as he planted churches. And what happened is a group of people that the Scripture referred to as Judaizers came in. People who were Christians probably, but had, they, were, they were strong Jewish people. And they had joined the ranks of the church in the Galatian area. And they began to teach people... That, that, that all people had to keep Jewish laws and traditions in order to be saved. Matter of fact, they were insisting that you would be circumcised. And, mad, and that's why he's getting mad about this. That's at the point where he talks about you'd be mutilated. He said, listen, I wish you wouldn't even reproduce. And, and he's, he's getting mad because they're trying to add something to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So the purpose of this letter was to teach Christians that they did not have to keep any Old Testament rules and regulations that the law was dead and gone. And friends, if you struggle with that, because a lot of times, especially in, in Pentecostal charismatic circles, we have a lot of people who are trying to reclaim Judaism. Paul's really clear. He said, it's dead and it's gone. We're not Jewish anymore. We're something better. It doesn't matter your national origin. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your, your, who you are, your, your sex. What matters is you're a new thing called Christian. It's a brand new group of people called Christian. He's saying the law is dead and gone and rather, there, he, was, he wants, instead of walking by the letter of the law, he's something better. It's called walking by the Spirit. Living a Spirit-filled, Spirit-formed life. It's in this context that Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit 
or the result of the Spirit's activity in the Christian's life. So in order to understand that, look a little earlier in your verses, starting in verse 16. And we're going to read those verses 22 and 23, but starting in verse 16, we're going to put it in context. Here's what Paul says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul is teaching that there is a great difference between walking by the Spirit and walking by, by the human flesh. And, and we understand he's not trying to do is make flesh evil. He's using flesh in the sense of those carnal desires, those kind of ideas and desires and feelings and drives that a person would have before Christ that come from the reality of living in a corrupt, sin-affected um, world. And he says they're completely different. He says the fruit, he could use that word, or the deeds of the flesh are evident. The results of the flesh are evident. Things like strife, jealousy, anger, drunkenness, envying. But he says, on the other side, the fruit or the results of a spirit-led life in a person, those are also evident. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness. And he goes down the road. Paul is showing that there is this huge contrast between a spirit-led Christian life and a flesh-led religious life. Remember, he's talking here about religious people who have come in and are trying to rob the church of its freedom in Christ. And so he's not saying this difference is between um, the spirit-led Christian life and rotten, horrible devil worshipers. It's not what he's saying. He's saying the difference is obvious between a spirit-led Christian life and a flesh-led, dead religious life. Now here's what I hope for for us in this time. That as each of us is on our journey with Jesus, that little by little, the deeds of the flesh, those things that are reality from being born into a a sin-corrupted world, will gladly, slowly die and wither. And they will be replaced, because if it's going to die, it's replaced by something. It will be replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. And think about this. Wouldn't you rather have a home filled with love except other than it's not having strife? Wouldn't you rather have a home of love, not strife? Wouldn't you rather feel inside of you joy and peace in your soul than feel anger and envy? Wouldn't you rather? Well, here's the good news that Paul is teaching in Galatians. If we learn to walk by the Spirit to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, then a natural result will be the development of these nine character qualities. And I'm not sure Paul's trying to say, this is an end-all list. I think he's saying, these are the kinds of things that will define you, so we're going to look at that list. It's why Paul calls them fruit. 
He's saying it's something that can grow in you. It's fruit of something that develops naturally in a healthy environment. So if you've got an apple tree in your yard, and it's healthy, and it's not poisoned, and it gets the right amount of water, and it gets the right amount of sunlight, what does it produce? Apples, Josh just said. Don't ask me because you've got an apple tree in the front yard of the house he bought. He's like, oh, it's not so great having an apple tree in your front yard when the entire lawn is covered in apples. You know what? A natural result of a healthy tree, apple tree, is apples. It's natural. And that's what Paul's trying to get us here. If we'll learn to walk by the Spirit, live the kind of Spirit-formed life that God has for us, which takes our engagement, then naturally these things will happen. So if we live in a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit, we welcome His activity into our lives, we, we partner with what He's asking, and we, and we do the hard work of allowing to shape us, we will see these fruits growing in our lives. And for today, what we're going to do then, because I had to do this whole introduction, is we're going to look at, kind of briefly, but in hopefully full enough, at the first fruit, love. And we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask Him to cause this quality to grow in us. That His love would grow in us. Not that we're going to manufacture something. Now, if we want to understand love in the Scriptures, we want to figure this out better than we do, there's only one guy in Scripture that you'd look at. And that's John. John's the guy who gets love better than anybody else. John spends more time writing about love than anyone. He's the one who Jesus loves, is how he refers to himself. It's kind of funny. So for today, what I want us to do, I want to look at a section of Scripture that John wrote. This is going to help us get a full picture of love, the kind of love that, that Paul's saying we can have this grow and develop in our lives. So turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Kind of flip towards the end of your Bible. Get to first John, not the Gospel of John, but First John, chapter four, and we're going to read from verses seven to verses twelve. We're going to get this, a full understanding of the kind of love that he's talking about. That we're saying, this is what I want in me, because a lot of people could misunderstand love. So, chapter four, verse seven says this: "Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God." Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loves us, loved us, by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. Love each other. Verse 12, no one has seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression through us. Now when I look at that, and what I want, the goal I have for this is to help us to fully understand what love is as best as possible in a short period of time, so that we can say this, God, I see what it is, and I desire that in my life. And the Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me, help that become who I am. And so the first thing, so there's four things I see in here that I think are really important for us to understand a full picture of what love is, that how it can apply to our lives. The first thing is this, it's the source of love. John makes it really clear where love originates, and this is super important. 
He says twice, verses 7 and 8, he says, God is love and love comes from God. Now this is really important if we want to see the character quality of love develop in this. And I want to I explain or illustrate how. I want you to do something with me right now. I want you to all sit, look at me and be really serious for a minute. Okay? Now we're going to try really hard to do something. Squint up your faces a little bit. We're going to tr- concentrate real hard. We're going to try to make love grow in us. Ready? Count of three. All your energy. Ready? One, two, three. Uh, grunting, I like that. Okay. Okay, stop. Okay, did it work? Okay. <laughs> Ripley said yes. You had a heart attack, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, it didn't work. Right? That's because that's not how love works. That's how we think of it sometimes. Oh, just make myself love more. We read something like this, God is love and I should love, and I'm going to make myself love more. I'm going to love my wife more. I'm going to love my kids more. That might be a good objective, but you can squinch up your face all day long. You can strive and you can try, "Ah, I'm going to make love grow, and guess what? The fruit of love does not grow. That's because the source of love is God, and love comes from God. We don't get love in a sense of trying real hard. I'm just going to try real hard to love you more. Have you ever tried to do that? I have. It doesn't work real well. Because my flesh can accomplish something, but it can't really give me fruit. No, we become, we become loving. That's the fruit growing inside of me. We become, remember Dallas said the most important thing is who you become, not what you do, it's talking about becoming about who we are on the inside. We become more loving by being more fully united with the Father. That's what Paul calls walking by the Spirit. Understand something. You know, God is Trinity. Perfect, loving union of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's he's Trinity. The the Godhead functions in this perfect, loving union. Unity. As, and, and then we're invited to do something that's amazing, the most inv- amazing invitation in your entire life. That as we walk by the Spirit or walk connected to the Spirit and we invite the Holy Spirit to have access into our lives, we partner with the leading and the loving of the Holy Spirit. We're in essence being unified with the source of all love, which is God Himself. So for me to become more loving, I need to go to the source. I need to go to God. I need to spend time with Him. Just being with Him. I need to spend time meditating on the gift He's given me of His Word. I need to spend time worshiping Him. I need to spend time resting in Him. I need to spend time in His creation marveling at Him instead of living life at breakneck speed where you don't even notice anything about anything other than get to the next thing and get the next job done. I spend time with God, and as a result, I become more like God. So the first thing I see is that the source of of love is God. The second thing from John that we see from 1 John is an example of what love really looks like, example of love. John wants us to have a clear idea about what love is and what it's not, so he gives us a very clear example, verses 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And I think here's the point that, that Paul's trying to make here. He's trying to say love is really two things. The example of it. Love is, is other-focused and it's sacrificial. Love is other-focused. We think a lot of times, you think about people talk about love, what are they really talking about? How I feel. I love this. I'm in love. And they're not talking about, they don't even think about the other person. They're talking about how they feel. Paul turns it upside down. And he says love, real love, is other-focused and sacrificial. Dallas Willard gives a definition of love. It says this, love is willing the best for another. Now, I would never choose to say that I could add something to what Dallas Willard says because he's one of the great thinkers, I think, of, of the last hundred years. But I think love, there's a little more to it. I agree with him. Love goes beyond a passionate feeling. It's willing the best. It loves to go beyond passionate feelings. But I think it is a feeling. And what Dallas is saying is he takes, he takes this idea that love really isn't about a feeling. And I would disagree. Because love is a passion word. So is joy a passion word. It's a passion word. It's, about, it's, a, it's an emotion word. It's a feeling. But it's a feeling that moves us to action for the good of another. And here's the deal. The only way you can have a feeling that moves you towards action to another is you have God's kind of love within you. It's God's love within you. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the passionate feelings. He's talking about a feeling still, though. And we get a little idea about that being, maybe being a parent. Your kid does something really rotten and you're frustrated and you don't have positive feelings towards them at that moment. But your love compels you to do what's best for them, to will the best for them. I think that's a little, that's a human version of, of the immensity of God's love. But I think it's a little manifestation of the God kind of love that's within us. It is a feeling in the sense that it's emotion, and it's a feeling that moves us to action for the good of another person. That's the example John, John gives here of God the Father, sending Jesus, his son, into the world as a sacrifice giving everything to take away the sins of mankind. It's other-focused and it's sacrificial. Just think of this in practical terms. Can you imagine how wonderful your home life would be with your family or your work world would be with your coworkers if all of us were other-focused and sacrificial? Could you imagine that? No more fighting over who takes out the garbage. Right? No more fighting about who does the dishes. Well, I did them last time. The Jesus kind of love we're talking about here is other-focused and sacrificial. The fruit of the Spirit love is other-focused and sacrificial. doesn't mean we don't have jobs and certain people do certain things and it's right for you to do that and wrong for you to do that. No, what it means though is I'm other-focused and sacrificial in my interactions with other people because I've spent time with God and His kind of love is growing inside of me. I have other-focused, sacrificial feelings and I'll say I'm compelled to action to do something because my love for you compels me to do it. My God kind of love. No more fighting over who does the dishes if this grows. So what's next? That was the example of love. He then goes on to talk about the goal of love. Verse 11 is the goal of love. Dear friends, since God loves us, loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. 
No one has ever seen God. Oh, we'll stop right there. We'll stop at verse 11. Dear friends, since God loves, uh, loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. What's the goal of love? Of God kind of love? To love one another like God has loved us. As we walk by the Spirit, we live our lives aware of what the Spirit is doing around us and we're open to what He's doing and we're partnering with Him. He will give us opportunities to love. His kind of love will be compelled inside to action that is sacrificial and other-focused. And He will especially give us opportunities, I believe this, to love difficult people and love in difficult circumstances. I honestly believe it's why God created marriage. I'm serious. And this sounds funny, but I am. Take two different people, different sexes, different likes, different desires, and don't say they just get along, say love one another. Consider the other is more important than yourself. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a place, an opportunity to live this out. We're going to learn how to do this. Where God will give us opportunities to love different and difficult people. Why? Because he has something amazing for us. Because he wants to show you and me that if we put aside ourselves, we put aside our pride, because a lot of what keeps me from really loving is it's me-centered, and we ask God to love others through us, that he actually will compel us so that he can love through us. Because here's what he wants. He wants you to learn how to live beyond your limited capacities. That you've just established an idea of life. This is what I'm capable of. He wants you to learn beyond your limited capacities. He wants you to see that, that, that as you invite him in and surrender to his will, which is to love, to will the best for others, that he will love others through you. That you can be set free from the smallness of self-interest and live into the vastness of his love, which is much larger and much more freeing of an existence. And that's where abundant life in Christ is really found. Experiencing God's transformation and empowerment, you actually become the fruit of love on the inside out. Experiencing what it is to love unlovable people and even lovable people. Because that's what Jesus is and that's what Jesus does. You know what he does when he loves me? He loves a guy who's hard to love a lot of times. You know what he does when he loves you? He loves a guy or a gal who's hard to love a lot of times. All of us are. And that's how he can love others through us. But it's his love, not our, I'm going to try to love you. It's no being with Jesus, having the Spirit form and shape you, and His love growing within you. And finally, the result of love. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression through us. Can I tell you a little interesting sidebar about this verse? before we talk about it, because it's such a meaningful verse to me. Um, when we were missionaries, we had itinerate, and I had to preach multiple services all over the place. I preached, I just in Wisconsin, like at 150 churches. And 
in the beginning, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was trying to figure it out. And I was literally driving the car one time to Green Bay to preach at a church. And this verse came to my mind. And I had already planned. If you know me, I'm a hyper planner. I over-prepare and I'm willing to throw it out the window. That's the way I live it. I over-prepare and then if the Spirit leads, I'll throw it out the window. And I'm driving to a church to preach a sermon and this verse comes to my mind and the Lord says, I want you to preach on this verse. But I couldn't remember where it was. I just knew what it said. So I call my wife, Suzanne, on the phone. I'm like, honey, you've got to find this verse for me. This is what it says. And so she looks and she finds it. And it ends up being, verse 12, I literally preached on every Sunday for a year and a half everywhere I went, this, this verse right here, about going to Cambodia and how the foundation of love had been established in the nation, that Christian people had come into all, vill- all these villages and places and created orphanages, feeding programs, and it showed these Buddhist people what real love looked like. And now based on that, they, had, they were seeing God, and we were based on that love that was expressed. We now had an ability to take it to the next level and actually share the reality of Christ with them. And that's what I, that's what I talked about. And so I began doing that, and one time, and something is kind of funny, but I never take my wedding ring off. I've been married for, um, how long? Almost 30 years. I'll be married 30 years this next summer. And in 30 years, I have taken this ring off. I had on purpose made my ring so small, on purpose I had Suzanne make, so it barely fits over my knuckle, because I didn't want to lose it. So it's almost impossible for me to get my wedding ring off. And in itineration, at some point, for some reason... I pulled, I had to take my wedding ring off. And I looked inside my wedding ring. And you know what's inscribed inside my wedding ring? 1 John 4.12. I said, Suzanne, what verse did you have put inside my wedding ring? She said, I have no idea. (laughs) I said, it's 1 John 4.12. She's like, yeah. I said, That's the verse I preach on every single week when I talk about Cambodia. Same verse every week. I came to this church and preached on 1 John 4.12. You don't remember that. But I was a missionary. You guys supported me when I was in Cambodia. Um, Some of you that were here. And that was the verse I felt compelled. The Lord said, you preach that message. He gave me two things. Preach that message everywhere you go and help heal my hurting pastors. And I went to every church and I would say to the pastors every single week, how are you? Great, great, great. I get them in the office. How are you? And they start crying. And they say, I can't make it another day. I'm going to quit. I can't stand it. And the Lord said, you heal my hurting shepherds. I never asked one church for money. We set a record. The most money ever raised in the shortest period of time in this district's history. Because I didn't care about the money. I cared about, about helping heal the hurting pastors of the district. And, um, and wherever else I went. But this verse, this verse, this ring, she bought me that for 20 years. This is the original. This verse, this, this verse. I thought, why would you, Suzanne, why'd you put it in there? And as we talked about it, it was this idea that if we live our lives well and right as a couple, we'll display the love of God to the world. But that's our goal. And so, what's the result of love, verse 12? No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression through us. As we welcome the Holy Spirit to love others through us, people see God's reality in us. Friends, the greatest evangelism tool in the world is a person who loves like Jesus loves. The greatest tool for bringing people to the faith of faith in Jesus 
is a person who loves with the love of Jesus. When you love someone who's hard to love with the love of Christ, they see it and others see it. And the only explanation could be this. God is really real in your life because you revealed Jesus to the world. You know, at Portview, we have a motto around here. It's called people who care. Another way of saying that is people who love. It's really saying the same thing. Because we know that if the fruit of love really grows in us, then people will see Jesus through us. And people will be drawn to Jesus because of us. And isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what you want for your family? So many of you talk to me about you've lost children, you've lost relatives or neighbors or friends, family members, people who don't know Jesus yet. You know the greatest thing you can do to help them? Say, God, transform me into this person of love where I am compelled to do stuff in some ways that the world says is nuts in order to express your love so they can see it. Not to get something, not to gain, not because of me, but because of the example I have of Jesus. And I'm not just going to muster it up and say, I'm going to follow his example. It's no, I'm going to surrender to you and allow you to form me in such a way that I become like Jesus, who loves even the most unlovely. Friends, imagine what our homes would be like if the fruit of love grows. Isn't that what you want? Amen. This is why we're going to give God, and this is the way I'm saying it as I wrap up, give God these nine weeks to help us grow in the fruit of the Spirit so that our families will be more wonderful, our relationships will be better, and as a result, some people who don't know Jesus yet will be drawn to Jesus because of the love of Christ being expressed through us. So I challenge you. Pick up one of the books on the way out. Figure out how you can invite the Holy Spirit to help you as a family or a couple interact with each other. Because knowing this, if it's just you listen to this 30-minute message this morning, and you go away, man, this is what you say, Pastor, that was a good message. Thanks. It'll maybe have some effect. But if you go and you say, whether it's through this activity book or it's some other way, I'm going to interact with, I want, I want love, I'm going to take these sermon notes, I'm going to re-listen to the message, and I'm going to take the sermon notes, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say, God, that's what I want for me, and I'm going to give you opportunity in this seven days. I promise you, if you do that, you'll see a lot more of the development of God, His love within you. And that's my hope for you and for me. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for loving us. You gave us this amazing example. You said love isn't really that we love you, but that you loved us. You gave your very own son to die for us. Lord, that is other focus and sacrificial. That you love us that much. And Lord, I pray this week, if you, if, if you would do that for us, your word very clearly says in other places, if you would do that for us, there's, what else wouldn't you do? You'd do anything. And so Lord, on behalf of this church family and, a, and this wonderful church family at Portview, we open up our hearts to you. Lord, there are some people who have been hurt deeply 
they've been hurt deeply in their lives and it's hard to love. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, for you to love them well, to help them feel your reality and let them see that as they they continue to surrender those pains and those hurts to you, that you will heal them, that you you will take the pain away and replace it with this sense that you live in them and in us and you want to express yourself through us and one of the ways you do is through love loving other people and so Father as we surrender our hearts to you cause love to grow cause Portview to take more steps forward in being this incredible community of love where we really do love one another And we even love when it's tough to love someone. Because we know we're tough.